Hi everyone. Welcome to Dead Ideas in Teaching and Learning. I'm Katherine Ross, the Executive Director of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Columbia University. In this series, we explore untrue ideas that are widely believed and that drive systems and behaviors in the academy, a phenomenon that Diane Pike called the tyranny of dead ideas. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, I'm speaking remotely today with four undergraduate Columbia University students who have served as undergraduate teaching and learning consultants as part of the Teaching Center Students as Pedagogical Partners Initiative. We are joined today by May, Haya, Jennifer, and Kalisa, who will now briefly introduce themselves. Hi, my name is May Butler, and I'm a rising junior in Columbia College, majoring in comparative literature and society with a focus in Latin American literatures um, and a minor in education studies. Hi, everyone. My name is Haya Randur, and I'm a sophomore in the School of Engineering and Applied Sciences, majoring in civil engineering with a minor in Middle Eastern, South Asian and African studies. And I'm zooming in today from Beirut, Lebanon, which is seven hours ahead of New York. Hi, my name is Jennifer Lee, and I'm a rising senior in Columbia College. I'm double majoring in computer science and comparative literature and society, and I'm calling in from New York City. Hello, I'm Clifton DeMarga, and I'm a rising senior in Columbia Engineering, majoring in chemical engineering, and I'm calling in all the way from Maryland, not so far away. Great, thank you all. We started recording this podcast series before the COVID-19 pandemic drove us out of our classrooms. Now, at the end of the spring 2020 semester, we want to explore the learner's take on dead ideas in teaching and learning in both the pre and post COVID settings. Our focus for this episode is on bringing that learner perspective into our dead ideas conversation to explore which dead ideas resonate with the student experience and how dead ideas about learning may impact students under different learning conditions. You've all been part of an interesting experiment in a way, right, due to the COVID-19 situation because your semester um, changed dramatically and it changed dramatically for your professors as well. Um, I'm wondering, in terms of one of Diane Pike's dead ideas, the idea that grades motivate learning, and she's, you know, claiming that that's a dead idea and therefore it's not true. Um, you went, as part of this big experiment, you went from typical grading, which is points and letter grades, um, to a pass-fail situation. So I'm wondering about your thoughts on grades as motivating, whether there's a pre and post difference or whether um, you don't think that was a dead idea to begin with. This is a sort of big question. You could tackle it in different parts. Um, and if you think that grades don't motivate your learning, what does? I think I've seen a lot of things. Like on one hand, I think, and I think I've experienced this myself as well, like suddenly students have the freedom to spend as much time as they want on some classes and less time on others. And so um, I've really seen that students, like given the chance to show how much they care, like will go above and beyond, like the kinds of final projects I've seen students hand in 
um, obviously like for a lot of students right now the semester is overwhelming so they're not able to put in as much but I've also seen students like really do amazing things that they're sharing in like some of my CS classes and I think um, in some ways like the freedom to not have to hit a certain mark in all their classes has like freed up people to really like devote a lot of time to things that they care a lot about and then be less stressed about the classes that they're not as invested in. My friends are like, especially in group projects, they're like, well, like it is pass or fail, but like I care about my professors and like I couldn't hand in anything like really truly subpar to them. And so um, I think, yeah, like I've, I just haven't experienced students in groups who just suddenly don't care. And then I have had professors who like, despite the pass fail system, have asked us to self-evaluate our work and assign it like a number grade, which is even more specific than a letter grade. And in doing that, I think not having the pressure to like present everything as like, this was like a, a work because I need an A. Um, I think I and my peers have really been able to break apart like in the reflection, like what really succeeded and what didn't in our final project without fear that that would make us look bad. And so in some ways, I think this is allowed for an even finer grained level of attention to like what things we have succeeded in learning and what things we haven't. That's very, very interesting. So it sounds like then that the pass fail sort of freed you up. It broke the link to having to worry about the actual grade. And so your motivation for learning came from other places which would tend to support Diane calling that out as a dead idea, right? That yeah. clearly a lot more than the grades that motivate learning. And in fact, in your example, maybe it's saying that grades sometimes dampen the learning because you wouldn't feel as free to unpack what was successful and what wasn't successful in terms of your learning. Yeah, and doing the projects and things and writing the papers. So that's really fascinating. What do others think? You know, I, I think Jennifer made some really great points. I think I first want to say uh, that I really don't think uh, grading is going to motivate any type of learning, but rather, especially on a curve, is going to motivate competition and it's going to motivate just purely getting a good grade. That's all it makes you good at doing. Um, but then I think the two things that Jennifer said, very true i think firstly right now with pass fail i feel like students are doing things they are interested in and i think what's motivating that interest at least for me and my immediate friends is kind of the relevance of it or whether i feel like this is going to practically give me a skill that is valuable so if i'm doing a certain project i'll put a lot more into it if i feel like i can use what i get from this in the future again but if it just seems very frivolous i don't think i put as much in and then I think the second point Jennifer made about, you know, not wanting to dis disappoint the teacher and caring about them. I think a lot of people in some of my classes have really taken that to heart. There's been some projects that we didn't want to do, but we're like, we cannot disappoint this professor and we put so much into it. So I really do think it's about how, you know, relevant it is and then how much we care about the professor and the relationship we have there. I definitely agree with everyone so far. Um, and I think back to Jennifer's point a little bit, something that I think she touched upon is basically the systems that you know we work through um are now changing and i think obviously this isn't exactly like the best measure for us to figure out like is pass fail the way to go because of all the other complications that come with the current situation but i think um like coupling that with kalisa's point 
you know, we're all kind of ever since like we started getting education, learning how to work through like um, exams and how to write like specific types of papers and all these things. And it really is only training you to be good at test taking And at the end of the day. Like you are learning things along the way, but I don't think that grades in the way that we have them right now um, are the most efficient or most effective way for us to actually learn. And they do not put learning at the, the core of the educational experience. Um, so I think we're definitely having to challenge ourselves and our views as to what we value about our education and what things we want to get out of it and what um, different ways we can really explore the things we're learning and apply them better. Um, and I agree with what Kalisa saying about, you know, if you're actually caring and you think that like you will learn these things, you don't want to waste your time now and kind of not submit good work. And then you're going to have to relearn this later again for like that skill. Um, so I definitely agree that, you know, this pass fail system is really allowing us to explore uh, what possibilities and we have and what things we should be asking for um, in our education. Absolutely, Haya. And I think to tie that into what Jennifer and Kalisa were expressing, like I heard um, two things. And firstly, I think Jennifer did a really important thing in distinguishing between like receiving a grade and receiving feedback from a professor or being able to participate in the evaluation process. I think, at least in my experience, we are still getting feedback in terms of whether or not we've met learning objectives. We're just not necessarily getting a number to go along with it or a letter or whatever other metric professors use, but I think something they both touched on is how motivating the relationships that we form are. And I think that's something I've really noticed in my experience as a remote learner is not wanting to slack off because I still care so much about my professor or my peers, the people that I'm in a class with, or Khaleesi even mentioned maybe a relationship with a future goal or some other motivating factor, like still wanting to develop skills so that he can practice something in the future. But I, I, it's interesting to see how, how easily those have been separated from grades for me. So that kind of go, takes us into the other big area that we were going to talk about, which was technology. Um, Diane Pike had um, talked about technology in her paper. Um, clearly, the technology did save us, um, but um, it also had impacts that maybe weren't as positive. So I, I'm just curious, like, let's go a little more into technology and how maybe it's changed your role as a learner, your um, feelings about how you communicate with professors, um, whatever direction you all want to take it. It's definitely very complicated. Um, I think I was initially super, super overwhelmed with like the switch. Um, for multiple reasons obviously it wasn't just like oh we're doing this for fun but i think um it, i was intrigued to see how different professors would deal with it but i was concerned as to how i would deal with it because obviously we're used to integrating technology into our education but i think similar to just in-person classes I've, I quickly discovered that like, if something is not done intentionally, then technology is harming. Like the, it's not really the means that we need to go by it, to go by um, to achieving a certain point. So I think whether it's using specific software or specific features of a software or 
certain delivery methods for different things. Um, if something is not done intentionally, um, I think it really carries through um, easily to the student that like this is not the best way of not the best method of delivery or that um, these things are just not what we need to be doing right now. I think there, we have a lot to learn about which ways we should be doing these things if we are to carry some lessons from like this pandemic in terms of technology use and definitely it's brought a lot of things about accessibility and um, you know different accommodations that people have been asking for that are suddenly super available but at the same time it's brought to the conversation I think um, the idea of in what situations is it best to assign things in a certain format and is this the best way to do it? Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I do think for me personally, I quite enjoyed having the added flexibility of having online courses, being able to go to the video library. I don't have to go to my 840 anymore. I can turn it into a 1040. Um, so I, I enjoyed being able to manage my own time. But then when I speak to some other friends, they found it awful. They preferred much more structure. And I think the technology can offer us both, but we just have to think about how we apply it to different types of people. Right. And also, depending on where they're located, right? I mean, it's hard to be, to create structure around synchronous kinds of interactions if somebody is at a significant distance and the time zones are just too far apart, which is not technology's fault, right? It's just a limitation. Right. I, I think a more clear-cut example would be uh, professors who made assignments you at any point in the semester like I had a professor who did that and I love that I did all of them in a week and I was like I'm done with this class um, and some people said they hated it because then they kept uh, kind of procrastinating and they want to clear deadlines um, so I think an example like that technology can be great but we just need to kind of think about the fact that it's not it's not the saving grace yeah. right right I think as um, Haya said too right that it's um, we have to figure out the things that technology really enhances right? The really good ways to use it. Um, but it may not be good for everything we're trying to do. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I think something that comes to mind is the anthropologist Jean Lave said that learning is becoming a member of a sustained community of practice. And I think something that I've really faced this semester is having to renegotiate what community looks like because for me that that social bond and the community-based experience of learning is such a motivator and I've found that in this case um, technology and especially remote learning technology has really compromised that but I can also see how other applications or softwares like Hayao was saying could be used to enhance that in a classroom. It's just difficult when we're put in a position where we're being asked to substitute other um, research-informed teaching practices with, with technology, whereas I would hope that they could be used to complement each other in a different context. Yes. I recently checked back in with Diane Pike since she recorded her podcast before we went on the COVID-19 um, path. And she said the one dead idea she would maybe talk differently about now is the technology idea. And basically what she said is what you all have so um, beautifully illuminated is that technology in some ways did save us 
it stopped us from having to completely end the semester in the middle. Um, but it's still not the, it's not going to save higher education completely. It's a tool that can be used in some ways that are very, very good for learning, but it's not a tool that meets all needs for learning, right? So I think that's how she would have amended it post-COVID-19. And you all just gave great examples of that. I also think like one of the reasons why like all the LMS software we have is so bad because the people who create it don't have experience actually using them and the way it's purchased is as like enterprise systems that administrators buy and so it's like sold in terms of features as opposed to like what do students in classes actually need. Oh, LMS software is like learning management software. Um, and so I was thinking that because of this, because suddenly so many people have experienced remote learning and remote education, that in the future, like the people working on it and developing it are likelier to actually be a lot more invested in what the experience is like and have a lot more resources to draw for, from and like asking people how the softwares have been received. And so I've been kind of thinking like, and like wondering about like the future of educational technologies and how they might enable for the obvious gap we're seeing between what exists and what's needed to just be improved in the future. So if you all could um, reinvent higher education, if we could just say, okay, what would you do if, if somebody said, how should we go back? What should we do now going forward? We're gonna just reinvent the whole thing. For te let's focus on teaching and the teaching and learning part of it. Like, what would you change? I think everyone would agree that we have some professors who are phenomenal researchers, like world-renowned and super, super competent. But when it comes to teaching, there is, I think they're just so intelligent that they can't imagine that we don't understand how to solve a partial differential equation. And so I think that then if I could reinvent it, I would create a clear distinction between professors who want to be great at research and professors who also really care a lot about teaching students because that doesn't always overlap, I think. I agree 100%. And I think to that point, um, a lot of it would be looking at our priorities right now and reevaluating what those are because um, students' health and wellness is not always a priority. In most cases, it really is not the priority in traditional classrooms. And I think um, we need to do better about that aspect um, and really figure out ways in which we can center like equity and accessibility um, at like the fourth center that in education more than just delivering content because if we do that then sharing knowledge and really being able to think critically about our world would really become much a much easier task I would say if um, we are all made to feel important and that our ideas and the things we have experienced are as valid as the other person and that we don't really have to sacrifice parts of ourselves or um, our well-being in order to achieve in order to achieve like certain status or a certain grade and then be deemed um, respectable or given whatever accolade that you know is meant to show that we have succeeded in this broken system. Yeah I really appreciate what Haya just said about teaching students to differentiate between 
sort of what an equity-centered classroom might look like versus a classroom that's based on a scarcity model where there are only a certain number of credentials, whether it be like an A or a pass or whatever it is that are gonna be distributed. Because I think the difference between learning and credentials is something that we're not asked to think a lot about as students. And that's also just my experience growing up, going to a public school in the United States. A lot of the goal was, was also based on this model of scarcity and learning and that only a certain number of us are gonna to get to go to a competitive college and then only a certain number of us are gonna to get to graduate with a competitive degree from there and do something else. And I think maybe that type of transformation starts with admissions. Maybe we have to ask students <laughs> to demonstrate learning in a way that's different than a high school GPA or a standardized test score. But I, I think that would be something that I would want us to focus more on. I think I would wanna focus more on independent learning. Like I think this semester has really shown me how much relationships with professors can motivate students and the extent to which students are capable of succeeding in things that they chose for themselves. And I think at least at the undergraduate level, like unless, and especially at Columbia where you're not required to do a senior thesis, there's not that much movement towards having students develop the capacity for like independent learning, which I think this semester has really shown me like students are capable and desire that. And so I think I wish like there that kind of experiential and like student-directed work were more integrated into the classroom or like into the general or like formalized curriculum in some way. Wow, these are really powerful ideas and I thank you for sharing them. And um, I think people who listen to this podcast will agree with a lot of your ideas. So who knows, maybe in some years, we'll see some of the changes that you all have uh, brought up. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we sign off? I think trust your students um, and trust yourself as students as well. Um, and be critical of everything that you do. And yeah, it's a partnership at the end of the day. And I think we're all here wanting to learn. Otherwise, we would not be in these spaces. And I think if that's more recognized, then we'd all be better off as a society. Wonderful. And I also, yeah, building off of what Haya said, I think something that's been really lovely to come out of the semester is the shared vulnerability between professors and students. And I think one of the reasons that professors have been so receptive or even proactive about soliciting student input or feedback has been because this is a new context and they're not presumed to be experts in teaching. But I think as Kaliza has mentioned, um, not all researchers are expert educators and that's okay. And I hope that that same like willingness to cooperate can carry forward in the future, even when we're back in a classroom. Well, I can't thank you all enough for being here and for sharing your thoughts with us today. Um, we owe all of you, uh, May, Haya, Jennifer, and Kalisa, a huge thank you for this very rich conversation and the wonderful ideas that you have put forward. And best wishes for much success and happy end of semester. Stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you for having us. Thank, thank you. you so much. Me too. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit our website where you can find any resources mentioned in the episode, ctl.columbia.edu backslash podcast. Please like us, 
rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Dead Ideas in Teaching and Learning is a product of Columbia University Center for Teaching and Learning and is produced by Stephanie Ogden, Laura Nicholas, A.B. Seidel, and John Hanford. Production support from Kate Ty Piggott. Our theme music is In the Lab by Immersive Music.